Occasionally I have the sense that reading that long passion reading on Palm Sunday, before we even get to Monday, Thursday, much less Good Friday and Easter, that reading that long passion reading kind of spoils the ending. After all, we're waiting to go with Jesus to the cross, to see him suffer, to see him cry out and breathe his last, to give up his spirit, saying, it is finished. We're waiting until Good Friday. Sometimes it seems like on Palm Sunday, if we read that, if we hear all of that right now, what is there left for us at the end of this week? But that sense, which I have, is all wrong. Because the point of Holy Week is not just getting to the end of the story, not just knowing the end of the story. After all, you do know the end of the story. You know that after three days, he will rise. After three days, the stone will be rolled away from the entrance of the tomb and the grave has no power over you anymore. You know that's what's coming. And that's why Holy Week is not just about knowing the end of the story and your life as Christians is not just about knowing the end of the story. It's like a wedding. You don't get to just skip straight to the I do's without all of the things that come before that without all of the learning to trust and love, with all of the suffering, with all of the uncertainty, with all of the hope that comes along the way. That is what we are doing during Holy Week. We're learning to trust and we're learning to love our Savior, and it takes time. One of the questions that is often asked as folks are learning the Christian faith is why Did it take so much time? After all, it was already in the Garden of Eden that God promised to send someone who would crush the serpent's head. Why did it take those thousands of years? Why did he have to be born as a baby? Why did he have to live 33 years? Why did he have to minister to so many and be betrayed by his own? Why did he have to be handed over? Why did he have to suffer? Why did it take so long? Part of the answer there is that it takes us time to learn to trust and to learn to love. That is, after all, what we lost in the Garden of Eden. We lost our capacity to trust God, to love Him, and to love one another, and it takes time for us to learn that again. Jesus gives it all to us by faith. When He dies on the cross and pours out His blood and forgives all of our sins, He gives us everlasting life a new life, a new heart, new creation, and a future. He gives it all to us in a moment. But then, the rest of our lives are spent learning. Learning to appreciate and believe what we have received. Learning to anticipate things, not according to our senses, but according to God's Word. After all, we are terrible at seeing the Word, seeing the world. We trust our eyes. I've talked about this before. We trust our senses and we get it all wrong. We anticipate things imperfectly. You know this. So often, we are anticipating some joy or some sorrow and you get it all wrong. You underestimate or you overestimate. It's not as good as you thought it would be. It's not as bad as you thought it would be. It was far worse than you could ever have imagined. We get it wrong all of the time. And it's notable that in the Gospels, The disciples even get this wrong when Jesus lays it out for them specifically. Look, he says three times, I am going to be handed over to those who hate me, 
and they're going to mock me and crucify me, and on the third day I'm going to rise. Jesus says it as plain as day, and still they can't anticipate it correctly. We cannot see the future, even when it is laid out in front of us by Jesus himself. It is as though we live our lives in a bit of a haze, wondering what is coming, and often quite fearful. Because our anticipation is all wrong. We don't know what's around the corner. And so you suffer in the course of your life all kinds of fear. Fear of pain, fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of grief. It besets every human being because we cannot anticipate the future. And when we think we know what is coming, we find out that it is not what we thought. That is what makes many people completely inactive. It debilitates them, that fear, that failure to truly anticipate, makes people afraid to do things, to take risks, to be vulnerable, to trust and to love, that fear of rejection, that fear of pain. It makes people unwilling to suffer, even for what is good. That fear of what you're going to suffer for what is good, it keeps people from doing what is right. We are weak. According to our sinful human nature, we cannot anticipate things perfectly. I want you to see that, and I want you to understand how important it is that we observe Jesus this week and every day of our lives, see how he anticipates what is coming for him. From the time that he was a baby, he knew, according to his divine nature, what was coming for him. In fact, that is why he took on human flesh. He knew it perfectly, not in a haze, not with uncertainty. He knew exactly what it would cost him to love you. He knew that it would be suffering greater than any of us could endure. He knew that it would be the greatest suffering the world has ever seen. He knew that perfectly, perfectly, his whole life long. He knew that on Palm Sunday he would come into Jerusalem and the crowds would be singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. He knew That the children would be crying out with joy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He knew that in a few short days he would be handed over. And the crowds would change their tune. They would hand him over to a Roman governor and they would demand that Jesus be crucified. But they would choose a criminal instead of him, their savior. He knew that his people would even invoke this dreadful blood guilt on themselves. Let his blood be on us and on our children. He knew that was coming, that they would hand him over, that they would hand him over at any cost. He knew how the soldiers would treat him, how they would take his garments and divide them among themselves. He knew that poor Simon of Cyrene would get roped into carrying his cross. He knew that they would offer him sour wine, wine mixed with gall to try and numb the pain, and he knew that he could not receive it. He knew that he had come to suffer. He knew that he would be reckoned among the robbers and that even the criminals for whom he died would mock and despise him. That they would make fun of his sonship, the fact that he comes from God, his heavenly father. And then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that moment was coming. When on the cross, it would seem as if all was lost to him and to his people. It would seem as if the world had ended. But he also knew this perfectly. This is the joy that was set before him. 
He knew that in the moment that he breathed his last, that he said it is finished and gave up his spirit, he knew that the temple curtain would be torn in two. That is, he knew that the barrier between you and his heavenly Father would be erased. He knew that in his suffering and death, you could draw near once again to God, that you could be reconciled to your Creator. He knew that the tombs would be opened and that many righteous people would rise in anticipation of that day when you will rise, when your bodies which have been laid to rest and appear to rot away, when they would rise again to life eternal. He knew that this centurion, this Roman soldier, would confess. Surely he was the Son of God. He knew that on the cross and in his resurrection there'd be salvation and victory for us. He anticipated all of that his whole life long perfectly, and that is why he did it. That's why he took the time. God, our Heavenly Father, sent his Son to take the time to be among us, to give himself to us. That's what we are doing this Holy Week. We are taking the time. Not just to rush to the end of the story, you know the end of the story, but to meditate on the holy works of our Savior. To fix our eyes again on Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection so that we may fix our eyes on him our whole lives long. Here's how you meditate on the suffering of Jesus. Not like you're watching some Netflix special where you turn it on for a little while and then you turn it off again and move on to the next thing. Not just as some background noise, not as a bit of entertainment, not as something to make you feel something for a little while. There are lots of feelings that come with Holy Week, but we're after something better, something more lasting, something permanent. We're after a recognition that Jesus was crucified for you and that you were crucified with him, that you were buried with him by baptism into his death, that your whole life now is lived as Christ's life was lived, resurrected, perfect, and holy. We are learning to love and trust this week. We are learning to have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, a mind which loves as Christ loved. Just before our epistle lesson, St. Paul is instructing the Philippians to do this really ordinary, basic thing, to love one another, to count one another more important than themselves, to look to the needs of others more than they look to the needs of themselves, we are learning this Holy Week to do just that, to be like Jesus, to trust in our Heavenly Father and to love as He loved. You learn it above all in this way, by receiving His forgiveness. Come this Holy Week laying bare your hearts. Don't hold anything back. Don't hide anything from your Savior. He has come to forgive it all. Every last bit of it. The things that you have hidden in the corner of your heart, the things that you have tried to forget, he has come to forgive all of them. And that is how he teaches you to trust and to love. Come and rejoice. This Holy Week can be somber, and that's good, to come with reverence, to come in awe, but it is a week of joy. It is a week of repentant joy. Come prepared to rejoice. Your Savior loves you. And he has given his whole self to you.
To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.